All of it is supported by Missouri, makers of handcrafted jewelry that's made to last. Looking for the perfect Mother's Day present? Missouri has you covered. Get free shipping on all orders in the U.S. and Canada, plus a two-year warranty. Head to Missouri.com slash all of it or use code all of it for 10% off your first order. That's M-E-J-U-R-I dot com slash all of it. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. This is All of It on WNYC. I'm Allison Stewart. I want to remind you, we have a special edition of All of It tomorrow. As regular listeners of the show know, we were going to have our Get Lit with All of It March book club event live in the green space with James McBride. That has been postponed for obvious reasons, but we said we'd bring you a book club, so we're going to bring you a book club. We are going to re-air our book club with Jacqueline Woodson about her book, Red at the Bone, as well as Laura Lippman, her book, Lady in the Lake. So if you've read either of those books, you definitely want to tune in. And even if you haven't, the conversations were terrific. They might get you excited to read either of those books. Plus, we have live performance, music performances as part of the show. It's really a whole lot of fun. So if you're feeling like you want to be with a group in a big book club and still have social distancing, (laughs) definitely check out our edition of All of It tomorrow. And while we are on the subject of books, the New York Times called my next guest's debut novel brisk and wildly imaginative, and it made BuzzFeed's list of one of the 24 books they could not put down. Hillary Lechter's new novel, Temporary, is a surreal satire on the world of temporary work, or shall I say, worlds. The unnamed narrator describes her work life as a temp this way, quote, short tasks, short stays, short skirts. My temp agency is an uptown pleasure dome of power-scented women in sensible shoes. As is customary, I place my employment in their manicured hands. With trusty carpal alchemy, they knead my resume into a series of paychecks that constitute a life. A kind of Gulliver's travel for the gig economy, the book traces our hero's journey as she works her way through 23 different jobs. They range from a shoe shiner in a nondescript city to an office gig at a major corp filling in for the chairman of the board, and a temp position on a pirate ship where she ultimately walks the plank on her last day. Driving this odyssey is the narrator's desire for a permanent job, a state her fellow temp workers call, quote, steadiness. A wonderful and terrifically weird debut novel plunges headfirst into the nature of labor in the gig economy. Temporary is out now, and author Hillary Lechter joins me today. Hillary, welcome to all of it. Hi, Allison. Thanks for having me. So the narrator of the book, we don't, she's unnamed. A lot of people are referred to by their job position. How did the stylistic choice fit into your book's themes and what you wanted to write about work and identity? I think it was really important to me that the narrator not have a name because she has to be malleable, like so many of us have to be in today's world, and she has to constantly shape herself into whatever role is required of her. So not having a name made it that much easier for her to just suddenly become a pirate or an assassin or a bank robber or a mother, and those are all roles that she fills during the book. Um, And when I wrote the book, I was working many jobs. I was not an assassin, but (laughs) I was constantly having to um, find which part of myself I could put into any given job that I was working. And I think that's an experience that a lot of people can relate to, especially today. In your mind, and you don't have to tell us 
this, but in your mind, did you ha- do you know what she looks like? I mean, she's me, right? <laughs> I think it would be it would be disingenuous to say otherwise, but but also she's not me, and so I I'm picturing all of the people I know who work so hard. I'm picturing my mother. I'm picturing my friends. Uh, today, I'm picturing the people who are going to work in hospitals in New York, mm. and I'm also picturing myself underneath all of that. And I, you know, I, it's it's a novel, but every novel has a little bit of the author sprinkled in there. <laughs> so. You write sort of an uh, origin story for the, the temporary worker. Would you read some of that passage for us? Sure, sure. The gods created the first temporary so they could take a break. Let there be some spare time, they said, and cover for us, won't you? Here are all of our passwords and credentials. Here is the key card, and here is a doohickey to clip the key card to your purse. See? Oh, sorry, here's a purse. Go on, fill it to the brim. Fill it a little more. Yes, it's supposed to be heavy. Here is your contract, and here is our copier, and here is the shared binder for all known manner of things. The first temporary fell from the husk of a meteor and glowed with no particular ambition. The gods had to pin her down so she would not float away. So distracted was this new kind of soul, so subject to drift. To be fair, they had not yet invented gravity. This was back when toads without occupation soared straight up to the clouds, back when employment was the only kind of honest weight you could apply to a a life. The temporary spent her first day of work reading the shared binder for all known manner of things. She familiarized herself with each section, each document, birds, bees, mitochondria. She noted how overfull the binder was even then, even when the world was mostly long stretches of empty surface. What looked blank was actually cluttered with microscopic tendencies toward life. There were infinite itemizations to complete. If the world was already so stuffed, would there ever be room for the first temporary? The word placement meant something different back then. It was not a job or a gainful assignment of employment. It was simply a place for each thing, a place to belong. The first temporary assigned placements for trees and sandy shores, for fossils and tassels. She wondered about her placement, its unsteadiness. Can I stay permanently, she asked, and the gods just laughed and went to lunch. At the end of the day, when the gods went to their god home, the first temporary thought, what should I do now? The office had a smell that happened only at night. That's the smell of innovation, the gods had explained. She found one corner of the office that didn't smell so much and sat there for a while. It wasn't really an office, not the way most people today would picture an office. It was a collection of matter and inertia that suggested the sensation of work. She activated her key card and swiped herself into existence. That was Hilary Leichter reading from her novel, Temporary. It's interesting. Why did you choose sort of the Greek myth to tell (laughs) us about how temps were born? Well, ever since I was little, I've been obsessed with Greek myths and um, Greek mythology. But throughout the book, 
it's it draws from everything from the Old Testament mm-hmm. to Greek mythology to fable and fairy tale and folklore. And I really wanted to smush all of those ideas together about where we came from to create an origin story for the idea of work and how we envision work in our modern day society. And um, the only myth that I could really think of or story that I could think of that relates to work is uh, Sisyphus push, like pushing the rock <laughs> up the hill. Up the hill. I think, <laughs> which is which is relevant so often, but I I think we deserve something a little more than that. And I I wanted to create a world that had this sort of. Um, underlying story for the way that capitalism works and doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. As yeah. I mentioned, there were 23 jobs. Did, <laughs> was that a specific number? Did you have 25 and pare it down? Did 20 not seem like enough? Uh, oh, it wasn't a specific number at all, but I, I love that it's sort of uneven. It sounds like a number that you might find in a listicle, like 23 jobs that will make your life better. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> Yeah, no, I was just, I just followed where each job took me. So she's a pirate, and then she somehow has to get to land again. So she becomes a barnacle sitting on a rock, and that becomes a job. And then she makes her way to land, and she has to find a job there. So I really just followed the narrative, and that's where the jobs came from. And now, of course, that the book is done, I'm sort of sitting here thinking of, oh, well, wouldn't it have been fun to put this job in the book? And I have an extra list of about 100 that didn't, <laughs> will never make it <laughs> into the novel. Let's talk about the pirate ship, because it's just, it's <laughs> so interesting, and I think it gets at it so many different issues around work and temp work and the way we treat each other at work. So she goes to work on this pirate ship. And she said at her new workplace, the exact nature of the vessel's work is unclear, but I rarely have insight into my employer's overarching projects. Pearl explains, sitting with me in the crow's nest, that we're looking for investors and we'll steal them if we have to. So we'll go hunting for venture capital. What is the connection between pirates and venture capital? <laughs> it's a loaded question. Um, well, in the book, they, they call it adventure capital. So it's a little bit skewed in the direction mm-hmm. of playfulness. I think all of these words are buried in the language that we use to describe the jobs that we perform. So the word venture is buried in adventure, and the word pirate finds itself adjacent to ed- anything from internet piracy to um to data piracy, and I, I think that um, looking to where the words come from and how they make their way into the language of the workplace was interesting to me. So it's not that venture capitalists are pirates, but it's mm-hmm. that these words have have tell stories that we don't expect. And I I really looked to the language for the wackiness and the absurdity of of the book. In this particular pirate section, there is a co-worker of the temp whose name is Pearl. Or is she actually Pearl? We sort of, there's a, there's a question about identity and who's the real Pearl. Is it the woman saying she's the Pearl or is it the person that's come aboard who claims she's the original Pearl and you're the temp Pearl? So I'm curious what it was that you wanted to explore about identity and taking on a gig that someone had 
previously, but they're due to come back maybe? Yeah, I, I mean, it prevents you from ever connecting. If you're replacing someone in an office job, obviously you're not trying to replace how they look or their temperament or the things that the temp in the book tries to replicate. Um, she is engaged in something that she calls a drastic act of empathy. And I don't, I don't know that that's something we take into a, you know, a scanning and filing job necessarily, but there does become this question. Well, if you, if you're not invested in any way in the places where you go to perform a task and if they're not invested in you, and if your sole function is to replace someone, then what is your identity? And are you anyone at all? Do you become the person that you're replacing because you actually, there's actually no room for you to be yourself? And I think we're experiencing that in an interesting way right now. Mm -hmm. I know a lot of people who are out of work or who are suddenly working from home or working in a different way, and our identities are so connected to the jobs we perform that the question this week for so many people has been, well, who am I now that I'm not at my job anymore? Um, and I really wanted to explore that connection between impermanent work, the impermanence of work and identity, and how they're, um, how they're twisted in this really destructive but also fascinating way. And to follow up on your point, the impermanence of where you work. Yeah. Because I think a lot of people are struggling with I'm not in my office at my desk, so am I at work? And then if I am on a Zoom conference call, do I have to have pants on? You know, it's just sort of this. <laughs> the answer is no to that question. <laughs> but, but, but yeah, I mean, what is, how are we defined by the, the buildings we commute to? By having a commute, by distancing ourselves from our family and our personal life. And is that distance real or is it just facilitated by not having to work in our living rooms every day? I think the convergence of the personal and the professional right now is profound and also crippling sort of. And I, I don't, I don't know that it's, it's working to, to ask people to perform jobs in the middle of this crisis. And yet we must, you know, we must. So, um, it's something that I continue to think about in new ways that I didn't imagine I'd have to consider when I was writing the book. My guest is Hilary Lecter. The name of her novel is Temporary. In our last couple of minutes, can you explain what the temp's first job was and why you chose it as her first job? Yeah, so her first job comes in a little ways into the book, and mm -hmm. she works. Um, her mother drops her off at a suburban house, that appears to be empty, and she's assigned to open and close the doors of the house every 40 minutes uh, until further notice. And she sort of discovers through this process of opening and closing doors that there is a family that lives there, and she has been assigned to be a ghost haunting the house. And I, I picked that as a first job because I, I think that our memories of the things we do as children are sometimes fantastical. And this is a job she performs when she's very young. And so I wanted there to be a sense of mystery around it, even to her. She doesn't fully remember or understand what happened at that house. 
And I, I think that framing it as her becoming a ghost is something that a child would understand, but it becomes flimsier and more questionable and stranger as you venture into adulthood. And that was important to me to make her first job this kind of intangible, I mean, memories are ghost-like and I, I wanted that first job to be ghost-like in her memory. The name of the book is Temporary. It is by Hilary Leichter. It is, you were prescient. There's something about this book and in this moment, I think people will <laughs> really wish, get into reading yeah, I it. I wish I weren't. I wish I weren't. But. <laughs> <laughs> Hillary, thank you so much for joining us on all of it. And thanks and congratulations on the success. Thanks, Allison. This is all of it on WNYC. I'm Allison Stewart, and I will meet you at the top of the hour. All of it is supported by Missouri, makers of handcrafted, ethically sourced jewelry for every day that's made to last. Looking for the perfect Mother's Day present? Missouri has taken the guesswork out of gifting, offering everything from dainty 14K solid gold pieces to pearls, diamonds, gemstones, and more. Make it personal with an engraving, or if you can't decide, check out their curated gift guide. Let them take care of the rest, gift wrapping included. Get free shipping on all orders in the U.S. and Canada, plus easy returns and a two-year warranty. Head to Missouri.com slash all of it or use code all of it for 10% off your first order. That's M-E-J-U-R-I dot com slash all of it.